0: Time now for Rocky
1: Jordan. Not far from the mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Café Tambourine run by Rocky Jordan. The Café Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against the backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, The Big Ditch.
2: Maybe there's a reason why I happen to settle down in Cairo. Maybe because it's on a great river like the Mississippi that flows down past St. Louis. Only the Nile's somehow different. Egypt lives by its rise and fall. And when it starts to run low in summer, the spirits of the people seem to go down with it. That includes me. And the best thing to give me a lift is to see an old friend, even a guy like Matt Gallagher. I'd had a big Saturday night in the tambourine, and along about eleven in the morning, I got the receipts out of the safe and sat down to front table where I could be under a fan while counting up. I was just finished when there was a knock at the door. I shoved the money bag onto the counter. As I threw the latch on the door, I saw his face through the window. It hadn't changed much in five years, except for a few new scars picked up in some waterfront brawls. He barged in like a big battered freighter riding out a storm.
3: <laughs> Yeah, uh, rocky me, boy, that saith me phrase. Well,
2: what wind blew you in, Matt?
3: A good wind it was, lad, for the sight of you again. Say, now, where was it? Uh, uh, Calcutta, Frisco, Singapore? Oh, don't make me remember. <laughs> yeah. If you're thinking of the to we had with the Sultan's daughter in Istanbul, we rode it out, didn't we, lad? Sure. Uh,
4: by the way, how much money
2: did I loan you to get? It?
4: So did the shadow. I started edging out away from the sidewalk for a look. The shadow raised its arms suddenly, and I ducked. <laughs> A large building tile crashed to the sidewalk right where I'd been a second ago. I jumped for a rickety fire escape over my head and scrambled up to the roof. Nobody in sight. Roofs stretching out in all directions, warehouses, loading sheds. Whoever it was could have been a block away by now. Pretty ironic. Somebody trying to take me out of the ball game when I didn't even know which team had the ball. I went back to my hotel room. Two steps inside, I stopped cold. I'd caught a whiff of what smelled like a pretty expensive perfume. It certainly wasn't my shaving lotion. Hello, Johnny. Wow. Sheila. Yeah. Yeah, I remember now. You were wearing that perfume at the party last night.
5: I've been waiting for you. Let's talk.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Any particular subject?
5: Last night. What happened, Johnny?
4: Oh, give me that. You were there, too. You remember?
5: I left before it happened,
4: I think. What do you mean, you think?
5: I guess I had a few too many last night. I don't remember some of it.
4: No? You were making pretty good sense when I was talking to you. Well, after that, I mean. And you were with it enough to react when Forbes and Helen went out on the terrace together. Don't, Johnny. Did you do it? (sighs) Oh. Oh, well, now that's a switch.
5: I'm not kidding, Johnny. You went to his room... There's
4: only one way you'd know that, Sheila. You were outside somewhere watching.
5: Yes. After I left, I went around and back. And? Pretty soon, Helen came out of his room. She was carrying something. Oh, what? Don't worry, it wasn't the diamond. I was close enough to see it. Even if I hadn't been, I guess I'd have known. What do you mean? It was a small bottle of perfume. That was always the first step. Perfume. And always the same kind. Oh. That kind you're wearing. Yes. It's got a great name. Forever. What happened then? I walked around the garden a few minutes... trying to decide whether to have it out with Andy once and for all. I started back toward the terrace... then I saw you heading for his
4: room, so I left. Sounds a little pat, Sheila.
5: I said, don't, Johnny. If I'd done it, would I have told you I was out in the garden...
4: You would if you were afraid somebody would seen you there and would tell me about it.
5: Oh? And I suppose you figured out a motive for me, too. A couple of possibilities.
4: You told me you'd been on a merry-go-round with Forbes for a long time. Maybe you couldn't stand the thought of anyone else getting aboard.
5: Helen? That sort of thing's happened before, Johnny.
4: Or maybe you figured the only way to get off that merry-go-round was to get rid of the guy who ran it.
5: And the diamond...
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And
5: you know, I thought I was the cynic. You really have a nice opinion
4: of people, haven't you? I'm afraid most of the people I get myself involved with on these jobs aren't very nice, you know. I didn't do it. All right, if you didn't, I'm sure Lieutenant Van Tyle will find out.
5: I know. I'm on my way there now.
0: 18 plus. Oh? He phoned me an hour
5: ago. I thought I'd stop by and talk to you before I went. Johnny, you don't really think I could do a thing like that,
4: do you? I guess not, Sheila. One thing I am interested in, though. What's that? You're finally off the merry-go-round. How does it feel? It isn't real. That
5: merry-go-round was all I ever knew.
4: She walked out of the room looking... well, empty is the best word I can think of. And I kept wondering what she'd been like before the merry-go-round. The rest of the day I spent composing soothing cablegrams in reply to angry ones from McNabb of Tri-Eastern Indemnity. The inquest was the following morning, but the verdict was no help. Death at the hands of person or persons unknown. Lieutenant Van Tile told me that Forbes' sister, Agatha, had decided to shove off that afternoon on the Southern Empress. So I went down to the dock and aboard ship an hour before sailing, hoping I could get in a word with her. Farewell parties were clogging the lounges and the passageways. I waited outside Agatha Forbes' stateroom until she arrived. Miss Forbes? What? Oh, Mr. Dollar, isn't it? Yes, I didn't have a chance to meet you at your brother's party last night. He told me about
5: you. It's too bad you weren't able to persuade him to put that... That diamond into safety sooner.
4: Miss Forbes, I wonder if you'd answer a few questions I'm very about sorry,
5: Mr. Dollar. I'm completely exhausted. I don't wish to talk about it. But
4: there are certain... I made
5: my statement to the police. There's nothing further to add.
4: About the diamond, There's however. There's been
5: too much publicity about the entire tragedy as it is. I have no wish to add to it. I'm
4: very sorry, Mr. Dollar.
5: I should be in New York in a month or so. Perhaps I shall have recovered from the experience sufficiently by then to talk about it...
4: Only trouble is, by then, the diamond could be in Timbuktu Was See you later, Miss Forbes. What snapped me into action was a glimpse of a girl... at the end of the passageway just entering the lounge. I couldn't be sure, but it looked like Helen. By the time I reached the lounge, she was nowhere in sight. Then I saw another familiar face over in one corner. The mugshot I'd seen at police headquarters. Julio Biak, jewel thief. And now I had him pegged. He'd been the stocky bartender at Forbes' party. The guy who disappeared just before the murder... He spotted me and ducked into a passageway. I went after him. He turned a corner, and that was his mistake, blind alley. So I closed in on him. We circled. Now, I was at the blind end, and that was my mistake because suddenly there was a knife in his hand. He held it low like an expert. Now, Mr. Dollar... Oh, you must have a trunk full of knives, Julio. Oh, I need this one. Just like the one you slipped into Forbes, huh? And you! He lunged at me. I ducked to one side and kicked at the knife. He whirled and dove, but now I had him... I'm glad you had him sent ashore and locked up, Mr. Dollar. It may be we've found our killer. But not the diamond, Lieutenant. It was not on him, eh? Nowhere. And that can mean just one thing. Either Julio is working with somebody who's sinning on the Southern Empress, or he's after somebody aboard who has the diamond. In that case, Mr. Dollar... In that case, the Southern Empress is going to have another passenger, me. I checked with a purser who agreed to squeeze me aboard. Then I headed back to my hotel room to pick up my luggage. I could still smell Sheila's perfume in the room. Then as I bent over to lock my suitcase, I spotted a movement out of the corner of my eye. I tried to whirl, but too late, something hard connected to the back of my left ear and I went down. And out. I don't know how long it was before I came to. The room was swimming. But I managed to get to the window and looked out. Then I realized somebody had voted me the man they'd least like to take a cruise with. The Southern Empress was underway and steaming out of the harbor.
1: Here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, I take a trip, all right. A one way trip. Join us, won't you?
4: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: caught the first cab that came along for headquarters. Sam was waiting for me and led me downstairs to the morgue where he drew back one of the sheets. Gunshots, as you can see, Jordan. Where'd you find him, Sam?
8: Lying in some out-of-the-way ruins near the old uh, Babylon Roman fortress in the old part of the city. He had been dead for several days. How'd you happen to call me? A match pack from the cafe tambourine was in his pocket. There was this small chance you might have seen him there.
2: I've known Gallagher off and on for a long time. When did you see him last? A couple of Sundays ago at my cafe. He uh, borrowed a pocket full of money while I wasn't looking. And you did
8: not report this to me, Jordan? Oh, it
2: was a personal affair.
8: Personal affair indeed. Too often you take matters into your own hands, but someday you will learn. Sure,
2: sure. Uh, what else was
8: in his pocket, Sam? There was no money, if that is what you mean. What about Identification. You know, this passport and Seaman's card. You may see them if you like. Thanks. Also, a few other personal articles, if you care to look at them.
4: Oh,
8: I don't know. I've seen enough. Now, Jordan, if there is anything more you can tell me about this man. Nothing at all, Sam. He's all yours. Very well. But, Jordan, give it some thought. I intend that this murder be disposed of very quickly.
2: I could feel Sam's eyes on the back of my head as I went out. He generally figures I'm holding something back. and This time he was right. To begin with, I'd never seen that man on the slab before. It wasn't Matt Gallagher at all. Besides, Gallagher was a seaman. This was a fair-skinned man with soft hands that had never done a lick of rough work in his life. I wondered if Sam had noticed that. Well, I had a hunch now that Gallagher was still kicking around Cairo with my 150 pounds... I wanted first crack at him. What he had to do with the murder and the switch in identity was anybody's guess. Looking in on Matt's girlfriend at the Shadrack Hotel was one thing I'd avoided up to now. But this is where I had to see her. It turned out she was sharing a suite with somebody, so I got the room number and went on up. The door was opened by a friendly-looking little guy with a mustache and his gray hair parted in the middle. Uh, Yes, uh, yes. Uh, What can I do for you? I'd like to see Francie Bjorn name's Jordan.
9: Oh, of course, of course. Please come in. Thanks.
7: Who is it, Uncle Julius?
9: It's Mr. Jordan, Francie.
7: Oh, so you're Rocky Jordan.
2: That's right. Matt Gallagher mentioned my name?
7: Yes. Bosom pals, he said. A Big oaf.
2: Yeah. Uh, Francie,
10: perhaps Mr. Jordan will be able to tell us... Give him
7: time, Uncle dear.
10: Oh, uh, yes, of
2: course, of course, uh, my dear. Well? I'm looking for Gallagher. Where is
7: he? I haven't seen him for weeks. What's your guess?
2: Well, from what he told me, you ought to know everything about him.
7: What did he tell you?
2: Oh, something about you and him settling down. Real cozy.
7: <laughs> Fine chance. He'd better show up in a hurry, that's all I got to say.
2: What's he up to, Francie?
7: He's up to his gills and Irish whiskey, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, uh, what else?
7: Oh, I don't know. He's been acting crazy for the last month. A lot of wild talk. Brother, what he wasn't going to do for me, buy me minks and sables and yachts...
2: Did he say what with?
7: <laughs> Who cares? It wouldn't make sense. What do you want with him?
2: hundred and fifty pounds, due and payable.
7: Did he steal it from you?
2: Well, he didn't exactly sign a promissory note. My Francie, my dear, this is just as I told you. I expressly do not approve of that man for you.
7: We've been all over that, Uncle Julius. But a girl of
10: your culture and refinement, I cannot understand what you see in a person like that.
7: Then stop trying
2: where do I look for him, Francie?
7: He might take a swim in the Suez Canal. He says he's going to buy it.
2: Oh. Gallagher told you that, too, <laughs> huh?
7: That's what he's telling everybody. And the more he talks, the crazier he gets. All he needs is a little dough to swing it, he says. Then it's big times for us. <laughs> Can you beat that guy?
2: Well, let me know when he shows up, will
7: you? Better be in a hurry. We're washing out of this town plenty quick.
2: Okay, thanks. Don't
9: mention it. Oh, uh, Mr. Jordan. <laughs>
11: I was always a poor liar.
12: <laughs> Here. Norma, going out of town for a while. Maloney's first chance I get. Chris. What does Maloney's first chance I get mean in Lover's Code?
11: Or Chris will telephone me. Maloney runs the barber shop. Hey, what trouble is Chris in?
12: I'm not sure. The morning papers, however, are full of a hotel shooting and sticker. <gasps> Chris? No so happens I'm his alibi for last night thanks to you. Thanks to me? If you hadn't sent me after him, it's my notion Chris would have been one of the masked gunmen last night. Oh, I'm so
3: relieved.
12: Don't be too relieved. He's on the lam voluntarily or by force. Force? Chris didn't show up with his gun last night. His friends want to know why not. They had a job blueprinted with Chris fully informed. That makes Chris a possessor of dangerous knowledge. Yeah, Chris might have lambed voluntarily or by persuasion.
11: You said before uh, a hold-up in a shooting. A shooting?
12: The night cashier in the Hotel Everly. He's got a bullet in him, pierced a lung. First surgery was successful, but a second might not be. It could be murder. If the cashier dies. A man of 65, Norma. Shock alone can kill him.
11: What a lucky thing that Chris
12: was... Pause in your prayers and write out a list of Chris's so-called friends, huh? All of them, you know. Play good angel and Dutch uncle to a problem, kid. The whole world doesn't take kindly to it. Sometimes there's a sharp protest from persons known and unknown. In this case, persons unknown. Some belligerent shooting up street lamps. Correction, shooting up confidential investigators. This shot practically singed my whiskers. I made the safety of a shoe shine parlor. I needed a shoe shine even less than I needed a hair seat. In the shoe shine parlor, the guy shining my shoes kept laughing to himself. A squat little guy with a nose built from ear to ear. The name on his glass window read V. Santo. Why not share the joke, cousin?
13: <laughs>
12: you laughing at me or at the world? Hey, let's have the other shoe. Just where would you prefer it? Oh, tough, huh? Just a little sensitive right now, laughing boy. I'm
14: laughing about what went on.
12: Went on where? The street out there.
14: You're not knowing where all the shots were coming from.
12: Oh, but you knew, huh? Yeah, I knew. (laughs) Now I'm going to let you hear what's been breaking me up like this. The joke you asked about. So tell me. It so happens I know where your next shot's coming from. You do? Yeah. See? My, it's small. The size of my hand. Don't tell me the gun's been in your palm all the time you've been flipping the shine rack. It has. Look, I'll show you how the tricks work. See,
14: I'm shining them up. All the time I got the gun palmed.
12: Well, what do you know? Judah. Huh? Very Well, I ran right into the spider's web (laughs) Right straight in Uh, Don't suppose we'll get to the other shoe now Nah, I'm off that Don't suppose you want payment for half a job It's on the house Thanks Well? Well, what? What now? You come down off that chair Yeah Off the chair First things first Sure. Okay. Coming down to your left. Ow, ow, <laughs> uh, You
0: dropped something, cousin. Oh, my hand.
12: Hey, very foolish, Richard, to get your gun. <laughs> I said very foolish. I only fire one warning shot. That's all that's required of any cop. <laughs> You're not too bright, cousin. Ordering me down off a high perch, you should have backed out of range of my feet. Oh, my thumb's busted. Nothing fatal. A busted thumb, how do I make a living? Which raises the question just how do you make a living? I'll answer that for you. You do our jobs, Maloney to Baba. Maloney to Bob? Who, who's he? I like my guess. From that surprised look on your face, I like my guess very much. Mess with Maloney. You're a dope. Maloney's a dope. A rifle isn't standard tonsorial equipment for a half-inch. Park your shine right, Junior, and grab your hat. You are locking me up? I'm turning you over to a chap named Trav Rogers. Lieutenant Trav Rogers. He's locking you up. What, George? Conceal weapons for a starter. Let's go.
6: Hey, that's the yard out
12: there. I know. The temperature in the street's too sizzling for comfort. What with Maloney doing his barbering with a rifle. We'll catch ourselves a nice breeze going out the yard and over a few fences. Lead us in our journey, Santo. Neighborhood hoods organized into a stick-up gang, like a respectable cover. To be able to point to, quote, legitimate gainful employment, unquote, when the heat is on. I let Maloney to Bob trim my hair. There you are, friend. All cut. Hold the mirror to the back of my head, huh? Yeah, yeah, sure. Nice, huh? The line zigs up and zags down. Style to it. I always give style to And it. the uh, sideburns, cockeyed. One's over my ear and one's under. You got a lot of complaints. My head of hair. Next time, take it someplace else, huh? What barber college did you study in, chum? That's my business. But I guess, Sing Sing. I take so much needling and then... It... Oh, wow. oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> what did you do that for? Oh, it's an accident. I was getting off the chair. I didn't see your big fat stomach in the way. I, I got a sense. You knocked the wind out of me. Yeah, let me
1: help you.
12: Oh, Maloney. Uh, Here. Yeah? You conscious? What What's got into you? You're a lousy barber. As a matter of fact, I don't even think you are a barber. Uh, you're crazy. Just, just asked around the neighborhood. You're a barber like Santo down the street as a shine boy. Santo? Santo. The last I saw him, he was being fingerprinted. On your feet. <laughs> I've already asked around the neighborhood, Maloney. Heard all I need to know about you. A uh, bull. Nobody in the neighborhood even said hello to you. No, huh? Because you've got them intimidated. On
1: CBS Radio Theater, Mickey Rooney stars in Merton of the Movies, a satire on the movie making industry. Remember CBS Radio Theater tomorrow, Monday night at 6. Now we return you to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, The Big Ditch.
15: What
2: would you do if somebody sent you a whole stack of shares in the Suez Canal? Paper the wall with them or ask a few questions first? Well, my curiosity got the best of me, too, so I wrapped up the bundle again and headed for the Cairo Securities Exchange. I didn't expect to find the answer there to why a murdered man was found with Matt Gallagher's identification on him or why Gallagher had sent the shares to me. That was something else. I finally got to the right man at the exchange, gave him my name, opened up the bundle on his desk, and waited
10: for him to start laughing. Yes, Mr. Jordan? Well,
2: what about these things?
10: Hmm, it's the Company Universal de Suez. I say, Mr. Jordan. Yeah? uh, This is most remarkable. You're bringing such valuable securities in this fashion.
2: Now, wait a minute. Don't tell me they're the real
10: thing. Authentic in every detail. I've seen many of
2: these. The
10: man is indeed fortunate to possess Suez Canal shares. What are they doing
2: here? A big pardon? I mean, doesn't the Suez belong to a government? France or
10: England? Oh, a common error, Mr. Jordan. True, the British crown owns seven sixteenths of the Suez Canal. Thanks, of course, to the brilliant statesmanship of Disraeli when he purchased them from the Khedive of Egypt.
3: Uh, oh, yeah, sure.
10: A great man, Disraeli.
2: A credit to the empire, Mr. Jordan. Uh, look, getting back to these shares. Oh, 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 quite. <laughs> Carried away, you know. Sorry. Um. Are you trying to tell me that private individuals can own shares in the Suez Canal?
10: Most assuredly. Many people are fortunate to own stock in the Suez. Uh, The fact of it is, thousands of shares have been lost through the years. Johnny Dollar. Expense
6: accounts submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Two claims Office, Eastern Life and Trust Company, this city. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Thelma Ibsen matter. Mm-hmm. Expense account item one, 15 cents, bus fare, from my apartment to Milton DeFranco's office,
9: where we got right down to business. The deceased was a man named John Linden. He made his living selling papers in front of the Metropolitan Building. Oh, on 3rd Street? Yes. Did you ever see him? Yeah,
6: I guess I have. Somehow you never think of someone like that leaving insurance money.
9: No, you don't. But he took out two policies, November the 5th, 1940, both of them $500 life. Uh-huh. So he has an estate of $1,000 that we have to give to a person named Thelma Ibsen.
6: His uh, daughter or something?
9: No relation at all. Just someone who stopped and talked to him one day. He
6: must have had quite a line.
9: He yeah, didn't think so, but I doubt it. He was only ten years old at the time. Oh. I got all this from the agent who wrote up the policy. He used to buy his papers from old John. One day he told the agent he wanted to take out some life insurance so he could do something nice for a little girl he'd met that afternoon. And that's it.
6: Well, quite a profitable meeting for her, huh?
9: Yeah. Of course, a thousand dollars isn't a lot of money these days. But from him, it's a lot. Yeah, Tell me, Ibsen must be twenty-three or four by now. I'd like to see her face when she gets that insurance check and finds out who it's from and why. Might prove something about something. Yeah,
6: it could. Or maybe she isn't doing nice things for people anymore.
9: Well, let's hope she is. I keep thinking of that old man out there hustling papers every day to make his dollar fifty-two in premiums every week. It gets me somehow. Huh? huh? He only saw her that one day in his life.
6: local address for Thelma Ibsen was 213 Brainbridge. From neighbors, I learned that Thelma's parents had been killed in an automobile accident in 1945. She'd moved Crosstown to live with an aunt, a Mrs. Mary Seely. Mrs. Seely died in 1950. Again, Thelma had moved. Where, nobody seemed to know. But they did know where she'd been working at the time. One of the girls there was brought into the manager's office.
15: Yes. She quit without notice a couple of years ago. She just didn't come back.
6: Were you a friend of hers?
15: Yes. We were good friends. Used to have lunch together every day. We started here together, too.
6: I see. Have you heard from her?
15: Mm -mm, No.
6: Any idea where she might have gone?
15: New York, I think. It's the closest place to go, isn't it?
6: Funny she didn't write anybody or say anything when she left. Don't you think?
15: Yes, but it's was like that. Like what? Well, don't misunderstand me. She was a real sweet girl, but there was something you could tell about her right away when you met her. She had plans of her own, and she just kept them to herself.
9: Mm Mm-hmm.
15: I don't suppose anything's happened to her.
6: I'm just trying to locate her. Did uh, she ever talk about going to New York? No. What did she talk about?
15: Oh, about meeting someone and getting married.
6: Was she going with anyone when she disappeared?
15: Oh, a couple of people around the office.
6: Are they still around?
15: I think so. You going to talk to them? I'd like to. They haven't heard from her either. No one has. She just plain left, bag and baggage.
6: At the apartment hotel where she'd been living since her aunt's death, I learned that Thelma Ibsen had suddenly checked out with all of her belongings around Christmas of 1950. No forwarding address. The hospital, jail, and morgue records for the previous two years were covered. Nothing came up. A high school annual provided a fairly good picture of a tall, smiling girl with a pleasant face looking out from under a mitre cap. The Motor Vehicle Bureau recorded a driver's license issued in her name. A right thumb and forefinger print came with it. The picture, the prints, and all available information went into a file. Thelma Ibsen became a missing person. Two days later, the people at her office were re-questioned. And then one of them recalled a man that she had been seen with just before her disappearance. Spencer account item two, $15, transportation and in incidentals, Hartford to New York, for the purpose of locating a Mr. Floyd Turnbull for possible information concerning Thelma Ibsen's whereabouts. I made a list of the Floyd Turnbulls in the city directory and set out to interview each one. The right man happened to be number five on my list.
16: Yes, of course I know Thelma Ibsen, Mr. Dollar. You say you're from an insurance company?
6: That's right, Mr. Turnbull. Can you tell me where she is right now?
16: I'm afraid I can't. Uh, sit down, Mr. Dollar. Sit down. Thanks. Understand you knew her in Hartford. That's right, I did. She came here to New York with me. Oh? Oh. Let me assure you, there was nothing improper about it. I met Thelma when she was working in one of the offices I do business with there. And uh, when I suggested that she drive to New York with me, I did it with the understanding that we were to be married here. I see. No one could have been more surprised than I when she disappeared. You mean here in New York? Yes. Well, when was this? It was Christmas Eve of 1950. Thelma was staying with my sister Edna in Westchester. I picked her up about six in the evening to go to a party. And we stopped for gasoline somewhere between here and Long Island. I left the car for a moment, and when I came back, she was gone. And you haven't seen her since? No, I haven't seen her since. Well, did she leave a note in the car,
6: a message of some kind? Nothing, not a word. And she hasn't gotten in touch with you at all? No. She's never written? Never. I can't quite get with this, You were going to be married, and she disappeared in a filling station on Christmas Eve. Did you argue or something? No.
16: I don't think I would ever have argued with Thelma. She was kind and sweet and gentle and all things to me. Your appearance here and these questions bring back the memory very strongly.
6: How long had you known her before you
16: decided to get married? About three weeks.
6: Do you have any idea why she walked away? Yes.
16: But I doubt if it's of any practical value to you.
6: Well, any information I can get would be very helpful in locating her, Mr. Turnbull.
16: All right, then. I think she was frightened. Of what? Of life, Mr. Dollar. Not people or circumstance, but life.
6: You say that with a lot of conviction.
16: Yes. Thelma had always been, well, a poor girl. She worked instead of going to college. She lived with a rather dowdy aunt who died just before I met her. Her parents had been killed in an accident a few years before. I think I offered her happiness that she always longed for. But she simply wasn't mature enough or adjusted well enough to accept it. But this is of no value, is
6: it? Well, it might be. Did you know of any ambitions she had? Maybe she wanted to go on the stage.
16: She simply wanted to be my wife and live here. Oh, I can see what you're thinking. I'm old enough to be her father, but that's not the reason she walked away from that car. Believe me, Mr. Dollar, unless I'm terribly mistaken, that girl was very much in love with me and wanted to marry me. Tell me, have you tried to find her? No, I have not. I waited around the filling station that night, hoping she'd return, but I... Didn't report the matter to the police. I intended to hire private detectives to locate her. But I gave that up, too. Well, I don't understand. If you loved her... Well, would this make it understandable, Mr. Dollar? Thelma was a rational, normal human being when I left her in that car. No one forced her away from it or me. The man at the station said she merely stepped out and disappeared down the street. She left of her own free will for her own reasons. Yeah, I think I can see your point. Thank you, Mr. Dollar. I've hoped that one day she'd appear at my door, contact me, come to me, but she hasn't. Is there any way I can help you more concretely?
6: Well, if you could tell me the exact location of that filling station. I believe I can do that, but why? Last place she was seen alive. Oh, that word, alive. Just a word, Mr. Turnbull. Tell me, do you suppose she had any money when she left? Why do you
16: ask? Well, she'd have had to go to work if she didn't. Maybe she had... see. Yes, she had money, quite a bit. How much? $2,300. Oh? She stole it from me, Mr. Dollar. I left my wallet and my overcoat. She took it while I was gone. I would have given her all this, everything. But she had to steal it from me. She had to steal it like a common little thief (laughs) there's truly no fool like an old fool is there Mr. Dollar
9: when I left
6: Turnbull it struck me here was the second elderly man in Thelma Ibsen's life one had given her money which she wasn't around to receive and from this one she'd taken money and didn't wait around to say thanks Men's account item three, $50 and 50 cents. Car rental and incidentals involved in checking Floyd Turnbull's story. A major oil company owned and operated the filling station where Thelma Ibsen had been seen last. Their payroll records named three attendants on duty Christmas Eve, 1950. I located and
14: interviewed all three. Enclosed fine statement of Earl Camden. Sure. Sure, I remember that chick. Better look in this picture. I'll tell you that. Well, anyways, she drove in with the old guy. See, he hadn't been away from the car more than twenty seconds before for she was out and walking down the street as fast as she could go. Well, when he came back and asked what happened to her, I told him. Well, and he went back and sat in his car for maybe a couple of hours just waiting for her. I knew she was gone for good. I, don't know, I felt sorry for the old geezer. She shouldn't have run out like that, Christmas Eve and all.
6: Edna Turnbull Spencer, Westchester, verified her brother's story. Thelma Ibsen had left all of her clothes at the house. Mrs. Spencer had not heard a word from her since Christmas Eve of 1950. The matter went to the New York Police Missing Persons Bureau. A check on the Morgan Hospital records was unsuccessful. However, the police fingerprint files turned up an interesting lead.
9: Misdemeanor, drunk, disturbing the peace. She was fined 25 bucks a night, Court, April 25th, 1951.
6: What's the address? 12-12-Yardley.
9: Uh, 12,
6: 12 12-12-Yardley. 12, 12 okay. At the address on Yardley, I learned that Thelma Ibsen had moved eight months before. Again, there was no forwarding address. The landlady turned out to be quite talkative,
17: however. I'm glad, too. She moved from here, Mr. Dollar. I'd like to help you find her, but I'm awfully glad she moved from here. Well, why
6: do you say that, Mrs. Prentice?
17: Oh, noisy. Parties all the time. I run a quiet place for quiet people, you know.
6: Yes, yes, I'm sure, but...
17: I thought she was the quiet type when she took the apartment, or I'd never given it to her. She told me she was secretary, that she worked downtown. Did she say where? Oh, no, that she didn't. How could she? She was out every night and slept most of the day. And men used to come to see her. Honestly.
6: Do you know any of them, Mrs. Prettis? Oh,
17: no. Just men. All kinds, all sorts.
6: I see. Was she friendly with anybody in the building? Uh, No. Did she go with any particular man?
17: I couldn't say. All I can tell you is I'm glad she doesn't give him anymore. I'm awfully
6: glad. The more people I talked to, the more I learned about Thelma Ibsen, and the less I liked what I heard. I went back to the city hall. It had occurred to me that hardly anyone is ever arrested for being drunk and disturbing the peace alone. I was right. The night court files revealed that Thelma Ibsen had been arrested with eight other people. I took down their names and began to check them out. Number six down the line was a man named Unger, who was in the hosiery business. Yes, he remembered Thelma Ibsen very well. No, he hadn't seen her for six months, but he could tell me where she lived. He did, and I went there.
14: Yes, sir. May I help you? I'm looking for Miss Thelma Ibsen. Oh, I'll ring her room. Is she expecting you? Uh, no. My name is Dollar.
6: It's uh, a business matter. Mr. Dollar. That's right. Just a moment.
14: <coughs> I'm ringing. Hmm. Well, I don't understand that. What? She came in about a half hour ago. I know she's up there. Well, maybe she came out again. No, I'd have seen her. I've been at the desk all the time. Well, if that is the strangest thing. Maybe she's visiting one of the other apartments. Perhaps. Would you like to leave a message, Mr. Dollar? Well, it'll be okay if I go up and camp on her
6: doorstep. I've been looking for her for a long time now. Of course! I took the elevator up to the 15th floor and walked down the hall to Thelma Ibsen's apartment. The door was standing partially open. All the lights seemed to be on. Miss Ibsen? Miss Ibsen? Miss Ibsen?
11: Go back. Get away from this room. What? Get away or I'll jump.
6: I'd found Thelma Ibsen. Only she was standing on a ledge outside the window, all ready for a leap into eternity. Return to Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar in just a moment. Now, with our star John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. I won't. Thelma. What? You better come in now. You don't want to do this.
11: I'm going to do it.
6: It's cold out there. Don't you think you should come inside?
11: I'm going to jump. Stay away now. Don't try to grab me.
6: I'll do anything you say, Thelma. Okay.
11: I never saw you before. How do you know my name? I've seen you. No, you haven't. I remember people. Watch.
6: Just going to light a cigarette. Do you want one? No. Can I have one?
11: All right. Where did you see me?
6: In a picture. In your high school annual. You went to high school in Hartford.
11: You know you. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Are you from Hartford? Yeah. Step over there. Let me see your face in the light. No. You aren't from Hartford. You're lying to me.
14: Mr. Dollar, oh, I well, want to. away. Go Oh, oh, oh. or I'll jump. Why, Miss Ips. Go on. Get out of here.
6: Go ahead. Call the police. Yes.
14: Of course, of course.
11: I heard you told him to call the police. I don't care. They can't stop me. Nobody can stop me.
6: Maybe they won't even try, Thelma.
11: Oh, I know they will. They'll talk to me just the way you're talking. They'll try to get close enough to grab me. I wanted somebody to call the police. I want them all down there waiting for me to jump. When the crowd's big enough, I'll jump right down there. I'm not afraid to do it.
6: Why do you want to jump, Thelma?
11: I have my reasons. Look, there's a couple of people down there who see me. They'd like to see me jump.
6: I don't think they'd like to see that at all, Thelma.
11: Oh, yes, they would. They might say they wouldn't, but they'll hang around, and if I don't jump, they'll be disappointed.
6: Nobody wants you to jump, Thelma. Oh,
11: sure they do. Those people down there would love to see it happen. You'd like it, too.
6: If I wanted to see you jump, I'd be waiting on the street for those people. But I don't want to see you do that. And neither do they. I want you to live, Thelma.
11: That's more people down there now. Oh. getting the big lights up here. God.
6: Thelma, look. If you're broke, if you need money...
11: Don't come any closer. I told you before.
6: I want to help you, Thelma.
11: Nobody wants to help me. Nobody's ever wanted to help me.
6: You're wrong about that. Lloyd Turnbull wanted to help you.
11: Lloyd Turnbull? You met him?
6: Yes. And he's still very much in love with you.
11: After I stole money from him and walked out on him?
6: The money meant nothing to him. He still loves you, Thelma. Thelma?
11: I don't love him. I never loved him. He thought so? He was just nice.
6: Why did you leave him that way?
11: I'm no good. Never have been, you know. I've never been any good to anybody.
6: Would you like to talk to Floyd?
11: No. I don't want to talk to him or anybody. I know. But after I jump, I want you to tell Floyd something. Sure. Tell him I meant to send the money back to him. I didn't think it was that much. Tell him I... Never was any good at all. But I left him because of that. All right. You can tell him I loved him. He'd feel good, I think. All right. Go back! I don't care who you are. Go back or I'll jump right now! Wait. Close that hall door. If you want to see me jump, you'll have to watch from the street down there with the others. Close it! you me?
6: I suppose so. I don't know.
11: You look foolish.
6: We all look foolish at one time or another. It passes.
11: Do I look foolish?
6: Yes, Dalma, you do. You're not going through with this. In the end, you'll come back into this room and everybody down there will go home.
11: That isn't true. You know that for the first time in my life I know exactly what I want to do how I want to do it. I'm going to jump.
6: From what I know about you, I thought you always knew pretty much what you wanted out of life.
11: I never knew anything. And it's all botched up. I'd be happy one minute and crying the next. Things kept happening all the time. Got so tiresome. Mom and Daddy died. I should have died, too. Then I wouldn't be here making all those people down there have bad dreams for weeks to come. I should have been with it when they were killed in that car. Well, it won't be long. I won't be tired anymore pretty soon. Tell on, wait. Wait for what? You say you've talked to people who've known me, who know what I was and what I am. I didn't turn out the way they wanted me to, did I? I didn't even turn out the way I wanted to be. Look at me. Why should I wait?
6: One man I didn't talk to had more faith in you than anybody else. He was an old man who sold newspapers in front of the Metropolitan Building. His name was John Linden. Old John. Thelma? Old John?
11: Old John.
6: You met him one day when you were a little girl. It meant a lot in his life. An awful lot. You remember Old John?
11: Yes. I went downtown after school to look in the window. I had a nickel and I bought a paper from this old man. I talked to him. He said I was a very nice girl, and he asked me my name and where I lived.
6: What did you talk about, Thelma?
11: About school. About growing up. He told me I'd grow up someday. Be a lovely woman. He said, lovely woman. He was very nice.
6: What else did you talk about?
11: School. He asked me what grade I was in. See, I guess I was in the fifth grade, or maybe the sixth. It's such a long time ago.
6: But you remember it.
11: Of course, I remember it now. Where's John now?
6: He died a month ago, Thelma. He left you all his money.
11: What money? What money would that poor old man have?
6: Insurance money. Comes to $1,000. You're lying. No, I'm not, Thelma. That's why I've been looking for you. It's my job to see that you get the money that he left for you. He wanted you to have it.
11: But why? I didn't know him, only that afternoon.
6: But he wanted to help you.
11: You're making all this up. It's all a lie.
6: No. No, look. What? These prove I'm from the insurance company. Here.
11: Draw them over.
6: All right. You see, he wanted you to have something.
11: That old man. That poor old man. I only stopped and to talk
17: to him.
6: Expense account item four, 350, martinis. I needed him. It was my first and I hope my last experience with an intended suicide. The psychiatrists who examined and treated Thelma Ibsen believe that she'll make a complete recovery in time. They say it'll take months to determine the exact cause of her breakdown. But as far as we're concerned, the case is closed. Claim filed. Expense account, item five, same as item two. Transportation back to Hartford. Total $84.15. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Their way? Yeah.
2: Tell your master he can have the pieces of paper for 150 pounds.
3: You will give them to me?
2: Not on your life. I'll deliver them in person. Well, I meet your master.
3: At the ruins of the Minya Tower in Old Cairo. Uh, There you will not be disturbed.
2: I'll be there at 11 o'clock. A little water cellar vanished in thin air, and I was back dragging Gallagher into the street and down the hill. I figured as long as he'd started this thing for me, he could be in at the finish. He complained like a dyspeptic camel all the way, but I finally got him with me to the tambourine, and there I put in a quick call to Sabaya.
8: What are you trying to say to me,
2: Jordan? I told you, the guy you have in the morgue isn't Matt Gallagher.
8: But you saw him yourself. Why did you not tell me?
2: You didn't ask me, Sam. I
8: didn't. Of all the incredible... And who is this man?
2: His name's Walter Logan.
8: Jordan, listen to me. You have completely upset my investigation. You have come
2: dangerously... Sam, smoked. do you want to find Gallagher or not? Indeed I do. And put on your snowshoes and mush on out to the Minya Tower in Old Cairo.
8: Jordan, you will first
3: explain this to me. Jordan.
2: See you there, Sam. Gallagher heard every word of the conversation and he was crying real tears as I tucked the pieces of paper under my arm and shoved him into a taxi out front. Between him and the lazy taxi driver, I had myself a time as we rolled south into old Cairo. Finally, we drove through what once, centuries ago, was the gate to the Roman fortress called Babylon. A little farther on, the cabby pulled up and he wouldn't go an inch farther for all the fish in the Nile. So, we walked it from there. In another quarter hour, we were nearing the crumbling Minya Tower, surrounded by ruins. Just a few minutes before 11. A full moon was out now, almost white against the ancient sandstone walls. It was quite a sight, but Gallagher wasn't impressed.
3: Rocky. Rocky, I, I don't like it at all. Ah, we're early. Is nobody here? It's right there that Walter Logan was killed, don't you see? Yeah. Somebody might repeat themselves. Look, Rocky, this is not for me. Let's get out of here. I, I'm sorry for getting you into this lad. I'll make it up if it takes the rest of my life. Might not be long enough, Matt. Oh, no, Rocky me, boy, that's exactly I get what I, I mean. back in the shadows.
2: We'll wait here. Matt dug for a dark corner and we waited. Not more than three or four minutes. Then we heard footsteps along the passageway from the way we'd come. Whoever it was kept to the shadows on the far side. The steps were confident with no trace of hesitation. They passed then the figure stepped out into the moonlight beneath the tower. Francie!
7: Matt, what are you doing here? It came
2: with me,
3: Francie. Gallagher's in on the deal.
7: All right, let's get it over with.
3: Well, I don't understand it. I don't understand it at all.
7: When did that muddled head of yours ever understand anything?
3: But all this time,
2: you... Yeah, better... he's
7: playing you for a sucker. Oh,
3: Francie, darling.
2: Oh, no, 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 Let no, I, Marky I...
7: explain it. He's the smart one. Uh,
2: later. Your little water boy mentioned an offer for... Uh, Certain pieces of paper.
7: Five thousand pounds. Why did you make it hundred and fifty?
2: I'm satisfied. Do you have them? Yeah.
7: All right, give them to me.
2: Oh, uh, let's keep it honest, blue eyes.
7: Hm. Here's your money. Now hand them over.
2: They're all yours. Thanks. Now we'll get a few things straight.
7: Skip it, Rocky. Come on out, Julius. Yes,
10: I'll take over
3: now, Quincy. Julius. It's Uncle Julius. I've been wanting Careful, to Matt.
2: That gun in his hand, he'll use it.
3: You're quite right, Mr. Jordan. Oh, I'm getting it now. I should have known why you didn't like me, Uncle Julius. Always come between Francie and me. What's
2: bothering you, Julius? Matt and I know too much. You've still got a lot of phony shares to sell.
9: You could quite well interfere with our plans. So I'm going to kill you.
2: Just like you did Walter Logan? Yes. Well, he fixed you up with his stuff. Why drop him?
9: He was a little man. Our methods frightened him began trying to dump the shares at quick prices. There was no telling what he would do next. I had to kill him.
2: That leaves just you and Francie. Great team.
9: I give her full credit. Lovely
12: people. Even policemen. Well, Lieutenant Rogers.
18: Hello, Barry. Buying me dinner or are you working?
12: Well, maybe we can combine the best features of
18: both, Trav. Name one good feature of working.
12: Well, you get paid
18: for it. <laughs> I keep forgetting that. Working for the department, it's easy to do. Wouldn't your boss object to your eating on his time?
12: He's dead.
18: I guess he wouldn't object. He must be a lively corpse if he's going around hiring investigators. The name's
12: Arthur Philip Peterson.
18: Oh, very impressive. What's he hired you to investigate? Well, I've got a
12: picture here. See? Hmm. Didn't anyone ever tell him he couldn't take that with him? He's not really trying. He died sometime last week. Heart. That's his wife. She left him more than three months ago.
18: Uh Uh-huh. What information do you want stolen from the department? Anything the department has on her, if it has anything. We'll see. What's the front name? Stella.
12: I'll feed it to the gallery, boys. What else? A green car keeps driving around behind me. License number, 1W, 17660. You want us to discourage him? No, I'd feel lonely without him. I'd like his name, though, in case we ever meet socially. One W one seven six six
18: O. I've got a couple of hours' work here, Barry. After that, I'll be your guest.
12: Fine. I'll go back to the office. You can call me there. Or
18: maybe we'll eat at Willie's wagon. No, thanks. I've still got scars from the last hamburger I tried to eat there.
12: Why well, you can't say the meat isn't fresh.
18: But does it have to be alive? <laughs> in a couple of hours, then. All right. Keep out of trouble. I intend to be very hungry.
12: I headed back to the office. The green car was still behind me. I couldn't make up my mind whether or not to worry about it. I decided to postpone the decision. But I didn't use the front entrance to the building. The back door and the stairs up would be smarter under the circumstances. Every once in a while, I do the smart thing. It always leads to trouble.
13: No. Huh? Don't put the light on. Why not? I'll shoot you if you do.
12: How good a shot are you?
13: Pretty good. You're a big man. I'm not very far away from you.
12: Meaning anybody who could hit the side of a barn door? All right. I'm willing to discuss the matter. We're not
13: going to discuss the matter. Get away from the light switch.
12: Want me to leave?
13: No. Go to your desk.
12: What am I supposed to use instead of vision? Radar?
13: Your eyes must be getting accustomed to the dark. Just walk straight forward.
12: Straight forward. Women and cats are much better at this kind of Look thing. Ow. Oh! That
13: was a chair you ran into.
12: Thanks for telling
13: me. I tried to warn you.
12: If you really cared, you'd let me put the light on.
13: No. Sit down.
12: You mean I happen to be directly above a chair right now? The
13: one you knocked over. Pick it up.
12: Oh, okay. If I knew exactly where you were, I could throw this chair at you.
13: That wouldn't be nice.
12: It might be. The only trouble is I don't know you well enough yet to decide whether you deserve being thrown chairs at. Well, thanks for asking me to sit. Mr. Craig. Yeah?
13: Why are you looking for Stella Peterson?
12: What makes you think I am? But
13: you are, aren't you?
12: One of the things you want to look for if you ever hire a confidential investigator is whether he knows how to keep his mouth shut.
13: About confidential things?
12: Well, yes.
13: You're looking for Stella Peterson isn't a secret.
12: It hasn't made the front page of the Times, either.
13: You've been asking people about her?
12: When I went down to lunch today, I asked the boy at the newsstand who won the 6th at Jamaica. I'm not investigating a racehorse.
13: That's not the same.
12: No, it isn't. But there's nothing you can do about it.
13: Look, I... Why
12: not try telling me why you're so interested in anyone looking for Stella Peterson?
13: I'm interested because... Yeah? Because I'm Stella Peterson.
12: By this time, my eyes had adjusted a little better to the absence of light. I could see her, but not well enough to tell whether or not she was lying. If you want to stop a search, the best way is to indicate that the object searched for has already been found. I wasn't satisfied. You may be Stella Peterson.
13: Don't you think I know who I am? But I don't. Well, I am Stella Peterson.
12: Repeating a lie doesn't make it into a truth.
13: I'm not lying.
12: I didn't say you were. I'm not saying you're telling the truth either. One way or another, I have no way of telling.
13: Why should anyone imitate me?
12: Why should you be afraid of letting me look at you in the light?
13: Too dangerous. Someone outside should see the light go on here.
12: Sooner or later, it'll have to go on. But when one on here. Okay. Good night. But
13: you haven't told me why you've been looking for me.
12: I haven't told you that I am looking for Stella Peterson either. I... Shh. Too early for Tran.
13: Someone's out
12: there. Yeah. Outside the door. What are you doing? Moving up to the door on one side of it door isn't locked. We're going to have company. Don't use that gun of yours. So glad you could come. Hey, let go. Never come visiting with a gun in your hand.
8: Oh, okay, I'll drop it. You're breaking my arm.
12: Oh, thanks. Now, get over to the side. All the way over.
8: Wise guy. No, oh, nice.
12: The gun. Yeah. And I think the lights. Where the... Hmm. The door to the next door. Jimmy, to open. That's how she got in here.
3: How? Who got in here?
12: You don't see anyone here now, do you?
3: She could have got out through that door to the next
12: office. Who could have?
3: The one who got in. And who was that? Well, that's what I asked you.
12: We're back at the beginning again, eh? Huh? Yeah, it
3: uh, looks that way, don't
12: it? <laughs> All right. So far as you're concerned, it began with your walking in here, carrying a gun in your hand. Why the gun? I thought the joint was being burgled. I'm a public spirited citizen. And you happen to be strolling past the office?